The Thai administration announced this Tuesday that Taiwan will lift its ban on food from areas near the Fukushima nuclear power plant. According to Japan's Fuji News Network, President Tsai Ing-wen had revealed the decision to former Japanese Prime Minister Abe Shinzo on January 31st. In a phone call with Tsai, Abe responded that Taiwan would be removing the greatest obstacle to its membership to the CPTPP, an 11-nation trade agreement. Ahead of the borders reopening to Fukushima food imports, Taiwan's premier inspected radioactivity testing operations at the Atomic Energy Council. Afterward, he said that Taiwan had sufficient testing capacity for handling Japan's imports. We have the most professional staff, the most sophisticated instruments. We can inspect more than 70,000 items a year, far more than the number of samples that will need to be tested. Please rest assured that we will uphold standards even more exacting than the international ones. According to a Japanese media report, former Japanese Prime Minister Abe Shinzo spoke with President Tsai Ing-wen over the phone late last month. Abe said that for Taiwan, lifting the ban on Fukushima food imports would remove its biggest obstacle to joining the CPTPP, or the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. Taiwan's presidential office confirms that a phone call did take place. It said that Tsai and Abe exchanged views on issues including Japan's food safety controls and Taiwan's entry to the CPTPP. It can be seen that our government did the right thing. The government will strictly adhere to scientific data to ensure airtight controls and national food safety. Japan, as the leader of the CPTPP, has confirmed that Taiwan removed the barriers to membership. I believe that this is a major positive sign for Taiwan's participation. With things set in motion overseas, Taiwan plans to push legislation in its new parliamentary session to pave the way for joining the CPTPP. Amendments are required for the Patent Act, the Copyright Act, and the Trademark Act. Since we filed our CPTPP application, we've been assessing the supporting measures needed. In this legislative session, we will propose the amendments one by one, amendments to the Patent Act, etc., and other related laws. As lawmakers gear up for a busy session, all eyes are on the fate of Taiwan's bid to join the CPTPP. The UK-based Economist Intelligence Unit has released its latest Democracy Index rankings. Taiwan stood at number 8 in a list of 167 countries, three spots up from the previous year. Taiwan was rated the top fully democratic country in Asia, and it was the only Asian nation to make the top 10. Since 2015, when the KMT was last in power, Taiwan has risen 23 spots on the annual ranking. An expert says this is a testament to progress under the Thai administration. Let's hear from him. Democracy is the people expressing their will, an effective government, and respect for political and cultural diversity, whether it's respect for new immigrants, the rights of same-sex couples, or the rights of minority cultures. These things all work to make a democracy. In the past, the Ma administration government could not achieve these things. However, over the past five years, they have been achieved by the Tsai administration. Taiwan has proven one thing to the world, that an authoritarian regime is not necessary for economic prosperity. A developed democracy can also bring about robust and rapid economic growth. Taiwan is a great example of this, and contrasting it with China demonstrates that we have taken the right path. 
The top five democracies on the list were Norway, New Zealand, Finland, Sweden, and Iceland. At the bottom of the list were the Central African Republic, the Demo De Democratic Republic of the Congo, North Korea, Cambodia, and Afghanistan. Neighboring Japan, South Korea placed 17th and 16th on the list, respectively, while China placed 148th. China was also reclassified on the list as an authoritarian regime. For Somaliland minister, we're wrapping up their five-day visit to Taiwan. The delegation is set to fly out on Saturday after meeting top Taiwan officials, including President Tsai Ing-wen and Foreign Minister Joseph Wu. On Friday, the delegation held a press conference for local journalists who asked if Somaliland intended to establish formal diplomatic ties with Taiwan. Somaliland's former minister did not answer the question head-on, but he said that Somaliland and Taiwan already had a strong, multifaceted relationship that would only grow over time. Uh, very happy to be in uh, Taiwan. At the end of their five-day visit, four Somaliland ministers opened a press conference where they hailed the many democratic values shared between Somaliland and Taiwan. Most of the, uh, what we share our uh, democracy, human rights a visit was an official visit. We have had uh, meetings with uh, the president of Taiwan and also uh, different cabinet ministers of Taiwan. We've been very touched how people are friendly. During the minister's visit, they met President Tsai Ing-wen and Taiwan's foreign minister Joseph Wu. They also met officials from the Coast Guard and CPC Corporation for talks on bilateral cooperation in marine and oil exploration. But at the press conference on Friday, what journalists wanted to know was whether Somaliland intended to forge formal diplomatic ties with Taiwan. You guys are stuck with diplomatic relations. I don't know why. Taiwan and my country, Somaliland, has the highest multi-facet relation, the best that we can have, and it can only go better and farther and higher than that. Colleagues say higher than the building we saw last night, <laughs> 101. The officials said the two sides already enjoyed a strong friendship that could only get better. Next week, another foreign delegation is scheduled to arrive in Taiwan. Many people will know that the TSMC Tom Tugendhat, chairman of the UK Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee, will lead a nine-person delegation of fellow committee members to Taiwan on February 19th. They're expected to meet with President Tsai, Premier Su Jinchang, Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun, and other high-ranking officials. This is the first time in 15 years that a delegation from the Foreign Affairs Committee has visited Taiwan. Commenting on the upcoming visit by UK lawmakers, one expert says it's a chance for the UK to advance its own membership bid to the CPTPP. The expert says British lawmakers may be prepared to discuss areas of cooperation with Taiwan. Let's hear from him. Military security across Asia has become an important factor in UK foreign policy, which has an eye on containing China's military expansion in the Western Pacific. To this end, the UK has put strong emphasis on the so-called three Cs, the East China Sea, the Taiwan Strait, and the South China Sea. As part of its economic strategy of joining the CPTPP, the UK wants to strengthen cooperation with economies in the Western Pacific. 
Taiwan is a very important part of that because of TSMC. The expert says the visit will not only show support for Taiwan's democratic values, but will also have important economic implications. In the digital age, digital age data security is important to all of us, but many people still use passwords that are easy to crack, putting their data and digital activities at risk. A new report reveals that a password like 1234 is still the most common worldwide. In Taiwan, this easy-to-remember password is also very popular, requiring no memory power. But experts warn such codes are easy prey for hackers. How to pick a better password? We asked a data scholar for his tips. Whether you're logging into an account or withdrawing money from the bank, the demand for a password is never far away. Most of us have accumulated a gaggle of different passwords in our collection. A new report reveals the most common passwords used worldwide. The top three are all a row of digits counting up from one. Statistics on breach password databases show at least 103 million people across 50 countries have used the password 123456. In second place is 123456789 with 46 million users, then 12345 with 33 million users. Taiwan is no exception, with over 210,000 people using 1 to 6. 70,000 using 1 to 8, and 50,000 people using 1 to 9. These easily memorized codes are the first choice when hackers strike. If your data is in a breached password database, then hackers will attack you with the password. For example, in situations where they can do trial and error many times, like on Wi-Fi or other accounts which don't limit the number of attempts. This data expert says basing your password on your preferences is a safe and memorable tactic. You could use a poem you like to remember regularly, or an English word. String them together, and then when it's long enough, it will take a hacker longer to break. So there you go. If your password is 1 to 9, it's time to dig out your poetry books and protect your data with your passion. Taiwan reported 18 local COVID cases on Friday, 13 in Kaohsiung, 3 in New Taipei, and 2 in Taoyuan. Most of the Kaohsiung cases were connected to a couple that was diagnosed two days ago. One partner spread it to other at her workplace, the Gangshan gravel field. She is believed to have contracted the virus from her brother, who was connected to an earlier outbreak at Kaohsiung port. Also on Friday, officials reported new findings about a Banqiao family cluster with an unknown infection source. According to the results of genetic sequencing, the family is part of a transmission chain that links back to the Taoyuan International Airport. Taiwan researchers have announced an, an experimental mRNA vaccine that protects against all current COVID strains, including Omicron. This vaccine was designed using Delta and Omicron genetic sequences. In lab experiments on mice, this next-generation vaccine was found to be universally effective. A joint research project between Academia Seneca and NTU on next-generation vaccines has borne fruit. In experiments on mice, researchers tested vaccines against different COVID strains. 
The researchers discovered that existing COVID-19 vaccines, when used against Omicron infections, produced only 12% of the neutralizing antibodies that they did against Delta. When tested against Omicron, a vaccine designed using the Delta strain produced only 22% of the antibodies it did against Delta. When researchers used the Omicron strain to design a vaccine, the antibody concentration was 37 times greater against an Omicron infection. But the vaccine then proved ineffective against other strains. But when a mix of the Delta and Omicron strains were used to design a vaccine, researchers found the vaccine to be effective against both Omicron and other strains. Methods of keeping the mRNA stable and packaging it in a nanolipid carrier so that its instructions can be passed on to ourselves are the results of research at top U.S. universities, and that is protected by patents. Taiwan has been able to apply these findings. The effect of this next-generation vaccine isn't too different from the effect of multiple doses of existing vaccines. There may be a difference in effectiveness of 5 or 10 percent. Globally, when countries give out third or fourth shots, they use the original vaccines. Taiwan is leading the way in developing a next-generation mRNA vaccine to fight Omicron. However, Lee says getting vaccinated and boosted with existing vaccines can achieve a similar protective effect. There is also the concern that by the time research on the new vaccine is complete, new variants of the virus will have emerged. International research has uncovered new symptoms of an Omicron infection. One is drowsiness, which affects 40 percent of infected women. Germany also reported one case of a man who kept fainting and was later confirmed infected with the strain. It drains our energy. Sometimes viruses spread throughout our bodies, causing drowsiness or lack of energy. This is a common symptom of serious infections. Fainting may involve simultaneous complications of the nervous system and cardiovascular system. When that happens, you have dizziness or the loss of consciousness. Health officials urge the public to get vaccinated and follow other protective measures to avoid infection. A new U.S. study suggests that heart problems may be a long-term consequence of COVID-19. The study analyzed data from over one million patients for a year following infection. It discovered that some patients suffer from heart arrhythmia or blood clots even have their initial COVID symptoms have been mild. Doctors think these patients may have had pre-existing heart issues which were brought to light by the virus. Putting on a mask cuts down the risk of passing on COVID through your breath. Most people continue to suffer post-COVID respiratory problems. A new study in the U.S. suggests that catching the virus can increase the risk of cardiovascular disease. Even a light case of COVID can leave lasting repercussions. We speculate that it may be because when the virus enters your heart, it causes some immune system storms, which may damage the heart. After some immune reactions, patients are susceptible to hypercoagulation, which can lead to blood clots. So there might be problems like a pulmonary embolism or increased risk of stroke, etc. The study examined data from 1.1 million cases, analyzing patients' heart health from one month to 12 months after first infection. Patients experienced cardiac arrhythmia, myocarditis, heart failure, and blood clots, sometimes lethal ones. Some patients who recovered completely from COVID came back to the doctor with heart complaints. The most likely reason was they already had a heart problem, and then added to that the infection, which caused the problem to worsen. Furthermore, previous studies have told us that once you catch COVID, COVID, these risk factors increase. Doctors don't rule out the possibility that these heart problems may have been pre-existing. Getting COVID merely hastened the onset of the disease. Patients with mild COVID symptoms sometimes experience the same heart problems. The
The CECC's most recent list of COVID symptoms names cough, sore throat, fever, runny nose, and blocked nose. Heart problems may not be on the first roster of symptoms to appear, but there are post-COVID risks to bear in mind. Demand for rooms in quarantine hotels fluctuates widely with the season. Over Lunar New Year, many Taiwanese who lived overseas came home to celebrate. Quarantine hotels reported 80% occupancy. But since the New Year holiday ended, demand is way down. It dropped so low that dozens of quarantine hotels have gone out of business. Some question whether the limited rooms available will continue to be enough. Lots of overseas Taiwanese came home for Lunar New Year and quarantine hotels were bursting at the seams. The average occupancy rate was over 80 percent. But in February, since the peak, occupancy has slid back down to just 37 percent. It's an unbearable blow for some nascent businesses. By February 5th, 39 quarantine hotels in Taiwan had shut down. The Lunar New Year occupancy rate slid down to 50 or 60 percent. Right now, at this stage, it's about 40 percent. The ones that shut down perhaps hope to open up for domestic tourism to increase their profits. Hoteliers make no secret of falling guest numbers. In the run-up to Lunar New Year, Taiwan's 26,000 rooms in quarantine hotels swelled to 32,000, including about 800 rooms that were available temporarily just for January. Now that 39 quarantine hotels are out of the game, there are 2,000 fewer rooms leaving just 30,000 available. Because the peak season has passed, it could be because they want to switch to domestic tourism. These hotels, which have closed down, are mainly in the six major cities because that's where the number of quarantine hotels is greater than in other areas. Most closed down hotels are in big cities. In Taipei, three quarantine hotels have pivoted to domestic tourism. Regulations say that they have to disinfect the environment and then they can only accept standard domestic travelers. But if this trend continues, will Taiwan have enough rooms for peak periods in the future? At the end of February and the start of March, there is still some demand. But how we will arrange that is something we will discuss with business owners. The CECC says it will consult with businesses over the quarantine hotel demand. Meanwhile, certain hotels found lacking on inspections have already been ordered to shut down. Last year's Golden Horse Film Awards honored Hong Kong democracy activists with the Best Documentary Award for Revolution of Our Times. Later this month, the film will have its first public release in the world in Taiwanese theaters. Made during and after protests against erosions of Hong Kong democracy, most of the film's makers remain anonymous for fear of reprisals. We spoke to director Kiwi Chow about the making of the film and his hopes for Taiwanese democracy. Revolution of Our Times won Best Documentary at the 58th Golden Horse Awards for its faithful depiction of the anti-extradition law movement. It will play in Taiwanese theaters at the end of February. Director Kiwi Chow says that during filming, he was afraid for his life. One time I couldn't respond fast enough and I got hit by one of the police rubber bullets. I felt my life was in danger. It hit me so forcefully on my helmet. I felt it vibrating. I couldn't stay standing. In that moment, I thought of my family, and I felt some panic in my heart. Unable to come to Taiwan, Chow spoke to reporters via video link. In an exclusive interview, he revealed that filming was tense, especially during big confrontations where the situation was unclear. But he held firm in his beliefs, resisting any hesitations or feelings of helplessness. 
I had many worries because there were so many unknowns. When the clashes were violent, it was impossible to predict the outcome. Gradually, I gathered several months' footage, and I started to feel some confidence that I probably had enough to make a documentary. That's when I finally started feeling some security as I was shooting. Chow put himself right in the thick of the conflict, later following up with interviews with protesters from many different walks of life. The film also weaves in Taiwan's 2020 presidential elections. Chow hopes that Taiwan will stay as a bastion of democracy. I really hope that Taiwan will continue to watch Hong Kong and protect itself and support Hong Kong and that Taiwan can stay strong. Chow says that as a filmmaker, creating this document of Hong Kong's struggle was his way of contributing and speaking up for the precious values he wants his people to preserve. If you drive a car, you might want to fill up now. Gas prices are set to jump next week by the most in nearly two years. Motorists can expect to pay 1.2 NT and 1.4 NT per liter of gas and diesel, respectively. After the adjustment, it will cost an additional 66 NT to fill up a small sedan. Experts say the price surge is driven by the Russia-Ukraine crisis, which has disrupted Russian gas to flows to Europe. But they say the rise will be short-lived and should start to ease in the second quarter. At this gas station, a long line forms at the self-serve pumps. These drivers are doing what they can to save a few dollars. It's expensive for sure, but you can save a little by pumping your own gas. A full tank costs nearly 2,000 NT now. Last year, I believe it was around 1,500 NT or 1,600 NT for filling it up. The more I drive, the more gas I use up. As much as possible, I try to stay in one spot and not move. International crude oil prices have been hit by the crisis in Ukraine, with the cost per barrel hitting 93 U.S. dollars. Next Monday, the local prices of gas and diesel are expected to rise by 1.2 and 1.4 NT per litre, respectively, the greatest hike in two years. That will bring 92-octane unleaded up to 30 NT per litre. The cost of 95-octane unleaded will go up to 31.4 NT, while 98-octane will rise to 33.4 NT. Diesel will cost 27.4 NT. For a small luxury sedan with a 55-liter tank, it will cost 66 NT more to fill up on 98. Sometime after April, we should see a supply surplus, and that should bring down prices somewhat. Even if a war breaks out in Ukraine, there should only be a short-term boost to prices. Analysts say the rise to oil prices will be short-lived and will likely ease in the second quarter of the year, but they say it's not likely that prices will return to pre-pandemic levels.